Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Hear the word of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week, we began a new series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're calling it The Way of Jesus. In Mark, remember, we learn more about Jesus from what he does than from what he says, In Mark, Jesus is a man of action. He's a man on the move. And so we're going to be looking at his way. But remember, the invitation before us is to join him, to make his way our way. And so this morning, let's look at three things Mark shows us about the way of Jesus. He shows us that Jesus receives. He shows us that Jesus resists. And he shows us that Jesus receives and resists for us. Let's look again at the baptism. Notice Mark doesn't focus much on the actual baptism at all. He focuses on three events that occurred right after the baptism. What are they? First, Mark tells us that the heavens were torn open. Now remember in the Bible, the term heaven can be used simply to talk about the sky, but more importantly, it's used to talk about God's realm. Heaven is the realm in which God rules and in which his will is done perfectly. If it's a space, it's God's space. And this theme runs throughout the Old Testament. In the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth were united. Later in the Old Testament, this place where heaven and earth overlap and interlock is the tabernacle. And then later, the temple. And if you go all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation, you read about a new heavens and a a new earth, a, a new creation where heaven is again open to the earth, where heaven and earth are united once and for all. So it's significant that here at Jesus' baptism, Mark tells us that the heavens were opened. Remember, this is happening at a time when for about 400 years, God has been silent. Before John the Baptist, before John the Baptist came onto the scene, um, there had been no word from the Lord for like four centuries. Like, what do you do when God stops speaking to you? See, God must have seemed completely inaccessible. If God withholds himself, what can we do? Not much. Unless God reveals himself, he, re- he remains closed off. But at Jesus' baptism, the heavens are opened. In other words, now there's access. And, and, and more than that, notice that Mark doesn't just say that the heavens were opened. He says that they were torn open. It's an unusual phrase and it's significant. There's a place in Isaiah 63 where the prophet is crying out to God on behalf of Israel at a time when it seems like God has abandoned his people. Isaiah is recalling the way God had rescued and delivered the people from Egypt, and he's pleading with God to do something like that again. He writes, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. You see, that's the image. That's the word. The heavens, not just open, but torn open. This is cluing us into our deepest need, family. 
we need access to God. We need the kind of relationship with the Father where we can go to him whenever we want for whatever reason. We need access to God. But more than that, we need God to come down and deliver us. We need God to tear open the heavens from his side of the divide and come to our rescue. We see this happening at the baptism. Jesus has access and God comes down. Which brings us to the next event to which Mark draws our attention. Mark tells us that Jesus saw the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, most of us are probably pretty familiar with this image of the spirit like a dove. And so we hear it and think, yeah, of course, the spirit of God is like a dove. The metaphor is familiar, but it's familiar only because we've heard it so many times. At that time, it was actually a very rare image. There's only one place in Judaism where the spirit is likened to a dove, and that's in the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament. Can you guess what verse it might be? It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, at the creation of the world. Most English translations say something like, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. An even more literal translation would be something like, the spirit of God was fluttering over the over the face of the waters. See, it's a bird word. It's what mother birds might do over, uh, over their nests. And so in the ancient Aramaic translation of the Old Testament, the translators took a little liberty with the image and they added, the spirit of God was fluttering over the face of the waters like a dove. So you see, Mark could be just hinting, for anyone familiar, hinting at the fact that the spirit here at Jesus' baptism is beginning a work of new creation. Something new is happening here with Jesus. So at Jesus' baptism, the father is sharing his presence with his son in the person of the spirit, not just access to the father, but God's continual presence with us. Like Jesus is getting the personal continual presence of God. So the heavens are open, the spirit descends. And then third, there's this voice, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Oh, family, don't you need this? I mean, isn't this what you most desperately need? Not only access to God and not only God's presence, but also this voice, the deep knowledge that we are beloved sons and daughters of the Father, that we are dearly loved by God. I mean, really, when you think about it, without this voice, the access and the presence aren't necessarily good things. Do you want access to a God who doesn't love you? Do you want a God who doesn't love you to tear open the heavens and come down? Do you want this God's presence? Probably not. See, if we didn't trust the love of God, if we couldn't rest in the identity he gives us as his beloved children, we wouldn't seek God out. We'd hear him coming and would run and would cover ourselves and we'd hide. But here at the baptism, Jesus hears the voice and he receives it and he trusts it. And he receives the spirit and he relies on the spirit. The heavens are torn open, giving access to God. The spirit descends, bringing the presence of God. The voice of the father communicates the infinite love of God. You know, we're talking about the way of Jesus. And what I want you to see, family, is that before Jesus does anything else, before he calls disciples, before he forgives sins, before he heals bodies, before he casts out demons, before he welcomes the marginalized, before he feeds the hungry, before he serves the poor, before he does anything else, he just receives. He just receives 
the grace of God, access, presence, and love. See, the way of Jesus begins with receiving. And what about you? Can you start here? Do you see that this is what you were made for? This, this is how the way of Jesus begins, and it's how his way for us begins. See, not by performing, not by accomplishing anything, not by trying to get stuff done for his kingdom. Simply being, simply receiving, simply trusting. Mark shows us that the way of Jesus begins here with receiving. And then Mark also shows us that Jesus resists. Look again at verses 12 and 13. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. You know, this still surprises me. I mean, my religious instinct is to say that to the extent that I've really trusted the gospel, my life will be wilderness free. To the extent that I've really received access and God's presence and God's love, temptation just won't really be that much of a reality in my life. I mean, isn't this what we think? That temptation happens when we're weak? It happens when we're tired and hungry? It happens when we're empty? It happens when we're depleted? Not just physically, but also spiritually? I mean, uh, we, if, if we ask, when does temptation happen? The answer we want to give is, well, it happens when you're not attending to your soul. It happens when you haven't been walking closely with the Lord. Temptation happens when you're not really trusting the gospel or you're not really walking in the spirit. It happens when you're far from the Father and when you've forgotten his love. See, basically what we tend to think is that the wilderness experience and the temptation it brings is, is really a sign of spiritual failure and deficiency. We view it as a sign that things between us and God are not as they should be. But one of the remarkable things about what Mark shows us is that it's actually the exact opposite. Verse 11, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You see, family, Jesus is cast out into the wilderness to face Satan, not when he's running on spiritual fumes, not when he's depleted, but when he's full of the Holy Spirit. That the accuser comes at him not when Jesus is far from God, but when he's filled with God. Satan attacks not when Jesus is doubting the Father's love, but exactly when Jesus has been affirmed in the Father's infinite love and pleasure. Do you see how important this is? We tend to think that to the extent we're full of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, we won't enter the wilderness and we won't experience temptation. In fact, we tend to think that freedom from temptation is precisely one of the signs that we are full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. We tend to think the closer and closer to God I get, the less and less temptation is going to be an issue in my life. We tend to think the more that God loves me, the less I'll walk in the wilderness. And what we see here is that Jesus is full of the Spirit. He's full of the Father's love. And that's precisely when he enters the wilderness and faces the enemy. This is the way of Jesus. 
He enters the wilderness, not when he's far from the Father, but when he's being faithful to his God-given vocation. It happens when he's full of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And why think it will be any different for us? Why think that the faithfulness, why, why think that our faithfulness provides an escape from the war that is waging between God and evil? Why think that our faithfulness will make us less of a target for the accuser? Listen, when we're not trusting the Father's love, or when we're not walking with the Spirit, or when we're not being true to our vocation as, as image bearers, does the, de- does the devil need to tempt us? See, I figure not really. Just needs to step back and let us live our lives. See, the devil comes at us with temptation when we're where God wants us to be, doing what God has called us to do. When you face temptation, is your tendency to get discouraged? I know mine is. It's not long before I'm thinking, ugh, this temptation is not what God wants for me. I must be doing something wrong. This is not what the spirit-filled life is supposed to look like. But listen, Jesus shows us exactly what the spirit-filled life is supposed to look like. This is what the spirit-filled life looks like. Verses 12 and 13. Now, not all the time, but some of the time. I think it's fair to say that we should be more worried when we're not experiencing temptation than when we are. In this world, the spirit-filled life will lead us into conflict with the one who opposes the spirit. Satan will tempt us precisely when we're full of the Spirit and following where he leads. And so Jesus receives, and then immediately he's put in a position where he has to resist, and he does it. This is also the way of Jesus. He receives, and then he resists. That's his way. And remember, he invites us onto this way. We're invited to receive everything that he receives and we're invited to resist like he resists. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, how are you doing with receiving the love of God and resisting temptation and walking faithfully in the wilderness? You know, remember Adam in the garden? Uh, here was a place where heaven was open. God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. They had access they had the presence of God. And more than that, they, they had God's love. And at least for a time, they trusted God's love. Like they believed it. They rested in it. And as a result, they were secure and at home in the world and with God and with each other. But it didn't last. Adam stopped trusting the Father's love and Adam rejected God's grace and he moved out on his own apart from God. And he stopped listening to the Father's voice and instead he started listening to the snake. He stopped receiving and he stopped resisting. And maybe this morning you feel like you've done the same thing. You feel like that description of Adam is a pretty good description of you. That in your heart of hearts, you know you don't really trust that God actually loves you. You don't feel at home with God and with other people around you. And, and maybe the accuser's the accuser's voice is the loudest one you hear. And maybe you don't know how to resist it. And so finally, family, we need to see that Jesus doesn't just receive and he doesn't just resist, but he, res- he receives and he resists for us. For us. It's like Mark wants us to see right here in the beginning that Jesus is doing something that counts 
not just for his relationship with God, but for our relationship with God. He wants us to see right here in the beginning that Jesus goes down deep with us into the mess of the human situation, and he stays there. And so we see Jesus getting baptized. Now, why is Jesus doing that? John was offering a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And and remember, one of the things that scripture teaches is that Jesus is like us in every way. Like he he is fully human, just as we are. He's the true human being, but he's unlike us in this way. He's without sin, which means that technically Jesus doesn't need John's baptism. He didn't need repentance and he didn't need forgiveness. Um, It might strike us as strange. Uh, John the Baptist has just been preaching about one mightier than he who had come bringing his own baptism in the spirit. It sounds really impressive. We're prepared for something big and spectacular. And then Jesus shows up and he's just this ordinary guy. And instead of baptizing baptizing anyone, um, he walks down into the water with everyone else. And he asked John to baptize him. Why is Jesus doing this? Like he, he just doesn't need this baptism of repentance and forgiveness. But you do. And I do. And so Mark tells us that Jesus gets baptized just like everyone else. You see, he's, he's right here at the beginning identifying with us in the depths. From the very beginning, he's going low already. He's taking the brokenness and sin and guilt and shame of our condition upon himself. He demonstrates total solidarity with us from beginning to end. Jesus ends his life, remember, on a cross between thieves. He begins his public ministry right here in a river among sinners. And that family, when Jesus is right here with us in our mess, that's when the heavens are opened and the spirit descends and the voice of the father says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And instead of running and hiding like Adam did, Jesus receives the spirit and he believes the voice. And listen, he's doing that for you and for me, for all the times we fail to believe that we are dearly loved children of God, for all those times Jesus believes for us. And he never stops believing for us. He never stops offering this perfectly faithful, all-sufficient human response to the Father's love and grace for us. And then as soon as he comes up out of the water, he's sent out into the wilderness. Just, just Just like as soon as Adam is told to be fruitful and multiply, the snake shows up. Just like as soon as Israel is brought through the Red Sea, they wander in the desert for 40 years. You see, Jesus... It is very explicitly entering into the conflict that has been waged by the enemy against God and God's people since Genesis chapter 3. And so as the second Adam, Jesus is now succeeding where the first Adam failed. And, and then just like um, it, it, and, and he spends 40 days under constant Satan attack, and he stays engaged with God. He keeps facing the Father. He keeps relying on the Spirit. He, he never doubts God's love for him. He never doubts God's goodness. He stays engaged. He looks to God for strength and sustenance. He resists the enemy. 
we need to see him doing that. And we need to see him doing that for us in our place. We need to see Jesus being faithful where Adam failed and where Israel failed and where you and I fail. Jesus here is Israel reduced to one. He's the one representative of all God's people. He's reliving the life of Israel and he's doing it right. He's doing it faithfully. He's keeping the covenant on Israel's behalf. He's living the life that Israel should have lived but didn't and he's living the life that you should live and that I should live but that we so often don't. How will we respond to this? And and really the question is how will we respond to the perfect response that God has already made for us as Jesus? Well, a few things that the text just holds up for us. First, will you embrace your belovedness? You see, the question is, will we go on doubting God's love and goodness or will we believe the gospel? Will we hear and really trust the Father when he tells Jesus and us in Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Some of you need to hear that this morning. God's word to you is you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Will we hear that or will will we continue in our sin and our shame? So embrace your belovedness. Second, will you take advantage of your access? You know, you you start this new year of 2022 um, with access to the one who spoke the universe into existence. The heavens are open for you. You don't have to worry about if God is listening. You don't have to worry about if God cares. God is listening. He does care. Um, he has made himself in Jesus Christ accessible to you. Will you take advantage of that this year? How will that transform your prayer life? That at every moment of your existence, you have access. You are not alone. God is with you in Jesus Christ. And then third, will you rely on the Spirit? Be filled with the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead you out onto the mission of Jesus Christ. Make his way your way. You know, as Jesus, God has met you and me in the deep darkness of our sin, and he has loved us there and he has set us free so that what is most true of us is Jesus Christ. What is most true of you is is this access, presence, and never-failing love that exists between the Father and the Son You know, at the beginning of his ministry, the heavens were opened and the spirit descended and Jesus heard and received the father's voice of affirmation and love. And then at the end of his life, Jesus gets darkness. We learned that when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the first time, there is no voice, no sense of access. Um, And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, he's losing the presence of God. And while that's happening, do you remember what else happens? Mark tells us that at at the same moment, the temple, um, the, the curtain in the temple was torn open. Torn open. It's the only other place in the Gospel of Mark where we get that word. 
torn open. The curtain that hid God's presence within the Holy of Holies was torn open, just like here at the beginning, the heavens are torn open at the baptism. This is the love of God for us, family. This is the way of Jesus, that that we in him would receive the access, the presence, and the infinite love of God. Believe the gospel. Receive the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.